0: Hello, we're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program.
1: Because we're praying to the one who, if he's blind, he can open. We're praying to the one who can open eyes. And I hope as a result of what we shared tonight, you don't leave here going, is the devil going to get me? But you leave here going, Christ is one. Christ is Lord of all. Christ is victorious. That's my pastoral mission tonight.
0: In recent weeks, Dr. Corbett has been exploring the backstory to the crucifixion of Christ. He's been considering the activities that were taking place in the spiritual realm as the forces of darkness set their sights on destroying the King of Kings. And how was that destructive plan working for them? Well, tonight is part four of the darkness series. Jesus has been crucified and is in the tomb. The powers of darkness appear to have won, but things are not as they appear. Let's join Dr. Corbett now for the fourth installment in the darkness series, The Humiliation of Darkness.
1: Thank you for being here. We're going to continue on in the darkness series and I want to uh, see if we can get you out as close to the top of the hour as I can uh, for that. And uh, I'm going I'm to pray in just a moment about uh, what we're going to share because it's going to follow on from... Uh, what we've been looking at in the, the darkness series. When, when we think of the crux of Christianity, and I use that word quite literally, crux is the Latin word for the cross. So the crux of Christianity has to do with what, what I was sharing just previously, and that is about the cross. When Christ died on the cross, and I was trying to bring out that, that while we can look at the physical realm, there is another realm that intersects and interacts with this realm. And it's the spiritual realm. And it's a realm that some people are really uncomfortable acknowledging. But it is a realm that the Bible, you cannot possibly understand the Bible if you do not understand that the Bible assumes and just presents without apology. There is an invisible spiritual realm with spiritual beings. Some are called angels. We tend to use that as a catch-all word for the heavenly beings that God created and we can see that originally when God created this earth there was an intersection very tangible intersection where certain of these creatures who I have already told you the Jewish literature on this says that these were creatures that were created by God specifically to help mankind and so we see in Deuteronomy chapter 32 8 they are called the sons of God. And they are not human. They are heavenly beings. They are made of some substance that is able to move in this dimension and out of this dimension. Now I might sound like I'm talking about science fiction, but I am telling you what the Bible says. And I hope to show you this is not some wacky, weird idea. This is biblical thinking. It is a biblical worldview. And I hope I can make that case. Some of these creatures... The watchers they were called and they are referred to in Daniel chapter 4 and four times it talks that the watchers have decreed judgment against Nebuchadnezzar the watchers have decreed the watchers have decreed the watchers have decreed and these are angels well we say angels I'll use the expression heavenly beings that God has given the the authority to come out of that spiritual realm into this realm and even materialize physically we see that when Abraham was there with his wife uh, Sarah that three three beings came to him and we we see there's an occasion there where they said um, she will bear a child in in a year's time and in her tent she overheard them and she laughed within herself and one of the three beings and I'm going to suggest to you one of them was the angel of the Lord which I would make the case that was actually Christ pre-incarnate Christ, and two watcher angels. One of the angels could hear Sarah in her tent and said, Why does your wife laugh? You remember the scene? And you have then Abraham preparing a meal, a roast meal for these three visitors, these heavenly visitors, and they ate it. So we're not talking about creatures like Casper the ghost. Now that's probably not going to mean anything to anyone under 50 something. They're not like vaporized nothing. They are something. And it is a material that is not on our atomic table of elements. But it is something. And these creatures, several of them, one whose name was Azazel, had it in his heart that when God created woman, that something of a fury and a pride and an envy rose up within him. And I'm not just pulling us out of the air this is in the rabbinic literature and that Azazel I'm going to suggest to you is the one that the New Testament calls Satan the devil the dragon this is Revelation chapter 12 verse 9. In Leviticus chapter 16 the two goats are brought forward on the day of atonement Yom Kippur one gets the short straw it dies it is slain its blood splatters over the other goat they open the curtain of the tabernacle and that goat having been splattered with blood takes the sins of the people out in the wilderness and in Leviticus 16 it says that goat shall be sent to Azazel that's in the English translation it's a transliteration of the Hebrew so we have reference to this creature this formerly good creature Azazel in Ezekiel 27 he's described as being a creature of incredible beauty who shone with bright lights it says. It, and, it, and speaking to the king of Tyre in reference to Azazel when he saw God created the woman, the moment God created the woman he fell into pride and rebellion against God. He was outraged that a creature was created more powerful than him because now this woman could do what no other creature in the universe could do and could do what only one other being in the universe could do and that was God himself. She was empowered to create immortal spirit in the image of God. Angels couldn't do it, angels can't do it. But these watcher angels discovered that not only could they materialize into this realm and eat but they could also have sexual intimacy or intercourse with women and so these sons of God these these creatures took women Genesis chapter 6 it talks about this and what resulted was these other creatures called Nephilim the giants half-breed humans and so in the book of Enoch from chapter 1st Enoch chapter 12 through to chapter 21 22 of 1st Enoch Enoch The oral tradition of Enoch, this man who's described in uh, Genesis chapter 5 as walking with God. That oral tradition passed down thousands of years and was eventually written down around about 250 BC. And he knows about these creatures and he knows that they've fallen. He knows that they've done wrong. And he sees that God has confined some of them in a place. And this is, I've said to you before, I do not understand how how mostly immaterial beings but are material of a different substance than our elementary table but I don't understand why they're confined to a space but I can see that the Bible says it and I can see that they were confined in a place called Tartarus. Tartarus. Again this is a biblical word by the way it's in as we'll see in a moment 2nd Peter chapter 2 verse 4 and these creatures were confined in this place according to the first Enoch that was in the In the hollows, it says, of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon, Dr. George, is the mountain range on the border of Israel and Syria. Have you ever been there? No. It's a 9,000-foot mountain peak. It's the northernmost border of Israel. On one side is Israel, on the other side is Syria. From the Sea of Galilee, you can see it. You can see it. It's permanently snow-capped. And so... This, was, this mountain, Mount Hermon, was in the territory known as Bashan. Bashan. Now all these things that I'm telling you are critically important if we want to understand what Christ has done. So this, this installment is the humiliation of darkness. The humiliation of darkness. And, and I hope to show you in this brief time together why the resurrection of Christ and his ascension were so important to defeating the powers of darkness. So let's pray. Father, as we look at your word, help us to see with our spiritual eyes, help us to hear with our spiritual ears, open our eyes, open our ears, that we might see and we might hear what you want to say to us. Father, speak. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, this is why the resurrection and the ascension of Christ brought about the birth of the church and light to the world. And we will see why they are important. I don't normally have a key text when looking at this, but I do have one tonight. And it is Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15, describing Christ dying, being resurrected. And ascending, Paul says this, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, him being in God. God enabled Christ, the Father enabled Christ to do something that cataclysmically changed the entire tone of the cosmos. So I want to pose some questions and hopefully come up with some answers We know that that Christ's body, it it was crucified because it had to be public. We saw that in the previous session. He had to be elevated so that there was no doubt he was dead and being tortured, bearing our sin and guilt and shame. He was elevated off the ground because it says in Ephesians 2 and verse 2 that the, the enemy, Satan, is called the prince of the power of the air. So Christ was crucified in the air to take absolute dominion over Satan. And his body had to be incorruptible. It had to be not destroyed in any way so that it could be raised. So here's the the question. What happened after Christ's body was laid in the tomb? You see, something was happening. It's, It's interesting how in life there are pictures that we don't think are really pictures of spiritual realities one of them is a seed Jesus gave this as a picture of spiritual reality he said a seed is planted in the ground and it looks like it dies but it doesn't it changes it becomes a root it becomes a shoot it changes and in the same sense sometimes we think the season of winter my wife particularly thinks this is a waste of time except for open fires yeah open fires are the in my wife's mind the only good thing about winter but winter is the only thing that makes growing apples in Tasmania possible because it's the winter frosts that kills the bacteria and the little insecty blighters that need to be killed making Tasmania the apple isle so sometimes things look like nothing much is happening. So Christ's body is in the tomb. Interestingly, there's a beautiful piece of artwork from the Renaissance, which you've probably all seen. The picture of Christ's slumped body being carried from the cross, being taken down from the cross and carried. They, they looked after that body. Christ's body was, was wrapped in a shroud, very carefully wrapped in a shroud. In a moment, you're going to hear an expert on The shroud or shrouds talk about that. There is a reason why this is important because the body had to be looked after because it was going to be raised. Now we've already seen that Christ told his disciples that's what would happen. And we've already seen that they had almost like a glaze over their eyes every time he told them. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be mistreated. I'm going to be beaten and whipped and spat at. And then crucified and the crucifixion could only happen by the romans because jews did not crucify that was considered a curse to do that and yet they didn't hear him and we've seen at least on two occasions when he's told them that the very next thing they talked about was who was the greatest among them absolutely bizarre now i suspect that god had placed a veil so to speak over not just the disciples eyes but over everyone's eyes because the apostle Paul says in 1st Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 8 if the rulers and authorities of this world had known what would have happened what was going to happen if they put the Lord of glory to death they would never have killed him so they didn't know now you can go how could they not have known we read Isaiah 53 the prophecies of Isaiah where he talks about So clearly that Christ would be crucified. Christ would be pierced. Christ would die. Christ would rise again. Yeah, and it's obvious to us. I mean, it might be more obvious to some of you who have like the spiritual gift that I have, which is the gift of hindsight. Anyone have that spiritual gift? (laughs) I wish I had the other one, you know, the prophetic one. See things before they come. Uh, I tend to make the mistake and then get the gift of hindsight kick in. So we have something happening when christ's body was in the tomb and this is what happened in the spiritual realm and it's one of those things where if you don't know what you're looking at it's hard to recognize but let's see if we can show you some of the things i'm going to state this claim and then i'll show you from scripture how we can support this claim when christ's body was in that tomb christ was not in that tomb christ was somewhere else he went and he preached to the most powerful fallen watcher angels who were held captive in Tartarus. And what we read in First Enoch from chapter 12, that when these, these, these most powerful angels sinned, they were able to take on human form and commit fornication with women. And they sired the Nephilim that God said, you have crossed a line. And, th- and you must pay a price for that and he can find them in pr- in a spiritual prison which is described as being located in Mount Hermon and it is called in the new testament in the greek it is called tartarus it sounds like something dr who wrote in but it's not Here we have 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being uh, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. What? This is what we're talking about. This is Christ going to a place in the spiritual realm where the dead were, but also... Let's have a look. The next verse, verse 20, says this Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Well, what sin was going on during the days of Noah? Well, we read that it was when the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and went into them and sighed children, and these children were the Nephilim. That's the sin. And it actually tells us. This was happening in the day, these people are in this prison because of what they did in the days of Noah. While the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. We go to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. For if God, now who were these creatures? Well, 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4 tells us, but if, For if God did not spare angels who sinned, but cast them into Hell, cast them into hell is the Greek word Tartarus. And committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Now here's what, what we know from intertestamental Jewish literature. That somehow these creatures confined these most powerful creatures, God did not allow them to continue on their merry way causing havoc and destruction. If he had, the entire plan of redemption would have, would have come to a grinding halt. So God ensured... That these super powerful beings, super powerful beings, were restricted and confined. And they were kept in some way located at Mount Hermon. Right on the border of Israel and Syria. And that's why, as we've seen, before Christ went to the cross, just before he went to the cross, he went to Mount Hermon. Caesarea Philippi at the foot of it. Then he went up. It says, uh, Matthew... uh, 17 a great mountain and Mount Hermon is the only great mountain in Israel and that's where he was transfigured transfigured not for the sake of Peter James and John who were with him but transfigured for the sake of those dark evil powers who were there and somehow still causing havoc among people and some were in some were imprisoned in chains it says but some were able to continue to commit evil. But here we have the scripture also saying that Christ went to the underworld, the place where the dead were. We get a little glimpse of this in the stories of Luke 16 where Lazarus and the rich man both die. One is in the place set aside for eternal judgment, eternal condemnation. And the other one, Lazarus, it says is in the bosom of Abraham waiting to go to paradise and so christ declared that he was lord of death and hell when azazel had claimed he was it's interesting when christ is baptized he goes out into the wilderness he meets the devil it says i'm suggesting that is azazel and the devil says this bow down and worship me and i will give you the kingdoms of this world you know jesus didn't say i will not do that He he just didn't say that and neither did he contest the devil's claim. And for a long time I thought that's because the world was the devil's. And in looking at all of this I realised Jesus described the devil, John chapter 8, as the father of what? Lies. When he said bow down to me and I'll give you the kingdoms of this world, the kingdoms of this world were not his to give. He has never been the Lord of the earth. And dare I even say, and this will thrill those of us who are Calvinists right now, that when the scripture says the God of this world has blinded their eyes, for some reason we have been told that's Satan. But there is nothing in the text, in the context of that text, that says that it's Satan. So what if it's God who's blinded the eyes of some people, which, as Donna said tonight makes our praying to God so much more important because we're praying to the one who, if he's blind, he can open. We're praying to the one who can open eyes. And I hope as a result of what we shared tonight, you don't leave here going, is the devil going to get me? But you leave here going, Christ is one. Christ is Lord of all. Christ is victorious. That's what I hope. That's my pastoral mission tonight. So Christ was, de- he de- he was declared to be Lord of Death and hell, or the Greek word for hell, Hades. And here we have in Revelation chapter 1, verses 17, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, and he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys... Of death and Hades and we can hear that and think aha Uh, we can think yes Uh, and I've heard fanciful preaching about this I've heard people say yes Jesus went into hell and there was the Lord of hell Satan and he wrestled him in the corridors of hell and he stole the keys out of Satan's hand he said aha I've got the keys and I think that is a load of twaddle there was no wrestle there was no wrestling with Satan about this But this is what's happening in the spiritual realm. He goes down into the realm of the dead. I have the keys of hell and death, death and Hades. And he is now the indisputed, undisputed Lord of all. Lord of all. And I hope that we get it. So this is what was happening when Christ's body was in the tomb. He's gone into eternity. He's atoned for our sins in the realm of eternity. He's gone to these spirits at Mount Hermon, these fallen angels and he has said i'm coming back for you you who are held here captive and you've still done your mischief i'm coming back for you you who are here in captivity what happened when christ rose from the dead when christ rose from the dead something extraordinary happened i want i want us to come back a little bit to build up to this because the events of christ's passion that is The moment of the Last Supper as he comes um, to stand trial where he's beaten, whipped, spat at, hit with sticks and clubs, punched by perhaps a hundred soldiers. His back is torn to shreds. That's the passion means the deep emotion. Then his crucifixion, then his resurrection was overseen by angels. I get this picture When, when Christ said... When the, when the soldiers of the temple came out to get him and they said, are you he? And he said, I am. And poof, they all fell back. I love that. Man, I would, have, gee, I would have bought that ticket to see that. And when he says, do you not realize I could call 12 legions of angels right now and you have no idea what they could do to you. I'm going, do it, do it. <laughs> do it. And I'm going to suggest to you that in the spiritual realm, he could see that he could do it. Do you remember that story with Elisha and Gehazi? You remember when those nasty, wicked people from Syria, it says, Dr. George, (laughs) those nasty, wicked people from Syria were coming and marauding in Israel that we have Elisha in his cabin and there's his servant Gehazi. And Gehazi comes in and says, Elijah, Elijah, we're surrounded. The Syrians are there and they've got chariots and spears and bows and swords that we're all done for. And he goes, no, we're not. Do you remember the scene? No, we're not. And he's going, what do you mean, no, we're not? There are more for us than are against us. By this stage, Elisha's eyesight is failing. So what was he seeing? He was seeing into the spiritual realm. And he could see angels with their angelic horses and their angelic chariots. And they vastly outnumbered the Syrian army. I have a suspicion that when Christ was being taken away by these temple guards and he said that, he could see with a word he could do it. But he didn't. And isn't that the essence of true manhood? Your power used for the welfare of others? Just a thought. Do you not think that I can not appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Matthew 26 verse 53. Note this. The guards, the Roman guards are guarding the tomb, sealed with wax and chain and rings. And there it is. That stone's not going anywhere. And then behold, there was a great earthquake Sunday morning. For an angel of the Lord descended. Now I don't know if you've seen Man of Steel just... You know, that theological movie, Man of Steel. But when Clark Kent discovers that he can fly, he realises there's one scene in there where he's, he's learning he can fly. And then he realises there's actually nothing in this material realm that can stop him. He can go almost the speed of light. He can go the, But he can go the speed of sound. You might remember, faster than a speeding bullet. Able to leap tall buildings in a... Single bound, thank you. And so there's a scene in Man of Steel where he where he discovers this, and you see him fly, and then you go, I wonder if I could go faster. And he goes, and then you see the atmosphere go as he breaks the sound barrier. I had this. That's just the way I'm seeing this angel coming into Earth. He's coming on that resurrection morning, and and there was an earthquake as a result, and there he is. And it says here, For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Chains, wax, who cares? One little finger. These creatures can interact in this realm and they are powerful. And by the way, that's not the first time the New Testament describes that. You remember Peter was imprisoned and an angel came. The the prison door was locked. He just comes and opens it. The lock mechanism just said, oh, it's you. Okay, And he he led Peter out. And this is the description that the Roman guards saw. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Wowzers. And they they ended up fleeing. But the angel of the Lord said to the women, because verse 1, which we didn't read, is that women came to the tomb to put spices on the body of Christ. And they would have wanted the guards to just take the chains away, unlock the chains, take the, remove the stone. Do not be afraid, the angel said to them. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Mm, he is not here. He is risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then quickly, then go quickly. And tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. This is what they were to say to the disciples. There you will see him. See, I have told you. This is a beautiful scene because the angels said, if you go quickly about now, that would be a really good idea. Why? So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great Joy and ran to tell his disciples. So they're running. They're doing exactly what the angel told them to do. And behold, look what happened. And Jesus met them and said, "Greetings." I get the. I just. I'm seeing the 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 humour in this moment, and I mean that in a in almost in a literal way. The great joy and delight Christ had to meet Mary Magdalene, his mother, and the other Marys. Hello. Can you imagine the scene? Can you imagine the little fright these women would have got seeing Jesus right there? Somehow Jesus wanted to delight them, to give them that surprise. (laughs) And so they departed quickly from the tomb with with, with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them and said greetings and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there you will see me. Now this I wanted to point out. that If we pick up the story in John, I haven't got this in my notes, but I think it's worth sharing. This is John chapter 20 and verses 5 down to verse 7. It says, and stooping to look in. So Peter's run ahead to the tomb. He's got to the tomb. They said, go and have a look for yourself. He's run from Jerusalem. to to where the tomb was which was just outside Jerusalem Uh, and he, he saw the linen cloths lying there but he did not go in. What do you think the linen cloths look like?
2: Hmm. Hmm.
1: Do they just look like you know some teenager's clothes on the floor? Jacob. Then Simon, Simon Peter came following him went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloths but note this but folded up in a place by itself you've just been resurrected you've taken off the shroud folded it up then you've unwound yourself or taken off this shroud which would have been about 14 feet long I don't know what that is in metric and you folded it up and put it on the stone slab where the body was what does that tell you about Jesus he had a good mother (laughs) (laughs) it also tells us there's nothing random or disorderly about jesus even down to the cloths that were used to wrap him how did christ's dead body come back to life well we know how that happened because it was the holy spirit who infused his body Concerning his son, Paul writes, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So it was the Holy Spirit that came into Jesus and something happened. And I, again, my imagination says when the spirit brought the glory that he had had from the foundation of the world on on Mount Hermon and he was transfigured, light emanating out of him, not on him, I suspect that when he brought life back into that body of Christ, something similar happened. Something similar happened. And I also suggest that when Christ took that shroud off him, he could see something had just happened to that shroud as a result. Now, I can't prove it, but I can offer some proof. Here is a shroud that was discovered in the 12th century. Anyone know what it's called? The Shroud of Turin. When I first heard about this, I thought, oh, it's a forgery. And and there's been all kinds of documentaries where people with a wave of the hand have said, oh, yeah, it was a a medieval forgery of the Shroud of Turin. And then there's been a number of scientific experiments on it where they've done ultrasound and x-rays on it, and they found there's actually layers embedded in the picture that is in this. This is a bit of a zoom-up on the face it's clearly a crucified man it's a man with a spear wound it's a man about the right height for an average jew of that time there's another there's a whole bunch of things that are rather odd about it you know today you can do archaeology by testing the pollen in rocks they found pollen in this shroud of turin which is in italy And they found that that pollen is only found in and around Jerusalem around about the time Christ died and you go "Mm -hmm." there's all these coincidences so in I want you to just have a brief listen to one of the world's leading experts on this his name is Dr. Gary Habermas
2: Maybe this is a perfect time to talk a little about the Shroud of Turin. Are you convinced that that's authentic? I'm fairly convinced. I would say okay. mid to low probability. I just told somebody over lunch today that I would put probability for the Shroud at 60 to 80%, 85%, depending on what kind of mood I'm in. Okay, And I'm just saying that to accept the fact that we all have interpretations of data. So a brief overview of what the
0: Shroud is and...
2: It's a a linen cloth, three-to-one weave, a a little over 14 feet long, a little over three feet wide, and it buries a body. If the body's inside, like, say, a a pen right here, the cloth is a 14-foot cloth that wraps around the head, and it loops because it's not exactly on the top of the head. So it loops a little bit, and and the open ends are at the feet. But the most interesting thing about the shroud is there's real blood on it. There's a body image. There are hundreds of burial garments in existence. None have body images like this. There's a body image on it. And according to a recent uh, scientific, um, let's say, conference in Washington, state of Washington, um, every scientist, over a dozen, who responded to the comment of what is the image on the shroud made of, they all, I understand, all came to the conclusion that the image on the shroud is because of radiation from the dead crucified body underneath. So the man is crucified, has virtually all the marks associated with death by by crucifixion of Jesus in the New Testament, but there's a cloth with an image on it, and the radiation appears to have come out from the body onto the cloth and are only affected the surface fibers. Virtually nothing we know only affects surface. Like if you, like you could, couldn't have burned the image in there. Well, wow. picture, picture a thread having 200 fibrils. That's how small the fibrils are, A single thread. The image area is like on one or two fibrils deep on top of a thread. So whatever made the mark is very, very shallow. So it's not paint, dye, powder, foreign substance on the shroud. There's no I powder, I guess, would have gone deeper into the... Even powder would, but there's no substance that you can put on. Let's put it this way. You can't fake the crowd today. A guy said to me... Even yeah. today with
0: all of our technology. That's right.
2: Uh, a fellow said to me, just talking to him just the other day, he's a, he's a, uh, a PhD physicist who deals with uh, dating. And he said, he said, and don't give me the argument. He's a Christian, but he said, don't give me the argument that we can't explain the shroud because that's just nothing. There's a lot of things we can't explain. So we can't explain the pyramids. And I said, yeah, but there's a little bit of a difference here. You can make a pyramid today. <laughs> you cannot make the shroud of turns. So this is interesting.
1: Even today with all our technology, no one could actually reproduce what the shroud has done. It's something that's emanated out of the body. And Dr. Gary Habermas has got... Um, hours of video on this on YouTube that is really curious, like, interesting. Having said that, when Christ was resurrected, he demonstrated that it was actually his body. You know, he ate fish. He said, have you got something to eat? He did that. He was seen, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, by up to 500 people at one time. And in Colossians chapter 1, it calls Christ's resurrection the first fruits of the resurrection. He was was on the the earth for 40 days after. And we have about two or three of those days documented. We know that he appeared to his two brothers, Jude and James. James became the leader of the Jerusalem church. Jude wrote the epistle of Jude. Both of them were sceptics before they encountered the resurrected Christ. But after encountering the resurrected Christ, they became apostles. At the end of the 40 days... Christ ascended why did he ascend for that I I just need you and this will kind of be my concluding scripture please go to Psalm 68 I want to show you this it's not on the screen I want you to see this I've told you that Mount Hermon the place of wickedness and evil was the mountain in Bashan at that time we're picking up Psalm 68 and verse 15 O mountain of God mountain of Bashan O many peaked mountain, mountain of Bashan, verse 16, why do you look with hatred, O many peaked mountain, which is what Mount Hermon is, at the mount that God desired for his abode, that is Mount Zion? Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. The chariots of God, so if you get the picture here, The the occupants of Mount Hermon, the psalmist is saying, are despising the people of God, God himself and God's plan. Why do you look with hatred? O many peaked mountains at the mount that God designed for his abode. Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. Verse 17. The chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. Verse 18. This is what happened when Christ ascended. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives and the context is speaking to the occupants of Mount Hermon. Leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious that the Lord may dwell there. Bashan, Mount Hermon is no longer and from the Day of the ascension was not Satan's territory anymore. The place of judgment is not Satan's, it is God's. Why do you look with envy on where God has chosen? Because now Mount Hermon is God's. And that's why the psalmist describes in verse 15 looking to the ascension of Christ as the mountain of God. And just so you're aware. That psalm is quoted in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 9. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? That is the place where these spirits were held captive. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things, that is be Lord of all. And in the psalm it said, and he gave gifts to men... And in Ephesians it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That is to say, after the ascension and these wicked evil beings were taken out and confined permanently not to do their damage, Christ declared himself to be Lord of all. And so with the ascension and pentecost christ has now humiliated the powers of darkness and for that we should go you are awesome father we thank you for your word and we pray oh god that your people will have the confidence to know that Christ is real, Christianity is true, not because we feel it or have a flutter of emotion but because you literally rose from the dead, you literally conquered the powers of darkness, you literally overthrew, overthrew the power of the enemy and you are Lord. You are Lord of all and every square inch of this universe is yours. And so Father I pray that with this newfound confidence that I hope every believer in this territory will have, we will pray to the God of this world that you open the eyes of the blind and turn people from darkness to light, that we might see people come to know Christ, even through this event that we're hosting at the end of the month with Will Graham. May people come out of darkness and into light, we pray in Jesus' name and bless your people this week, I pray. Amen.
0: Please go to our website, findingtruthmatters.org and select The Darkness Series Part 4 from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, when Jesus' physical body was placed in the tomb, he didn't just lie there. He had work to do in the spiritual realm. When he was resurrected, he put off mortality and put on immortality. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.